Welcome to episode 54 of the MMA Rundown podcast, and a couple weeks ago when UFC 249 was canceled, uh, it really cut off a lot of news in the MMA circles, and so last week when it was time to do the weekly podcast, I was looking through stuff to talk about, and there just really wasn't a whole lot, so I decided to just sort of kick it down and do it this week instead. Um, so the stuff I was going to talk about last week, I'll talk about this week, not that much of it has really changed since then. Uh, the big difference is that last week they were talking about what would be on the May 9th card, and now we actually know what is on the May 9th card, uh, so I'll talk about that. Uh, talk about something that happened in the wrestling community. It was just a, a, an interesting interview with Kyle Dake and Jor- Jordan Burroughs. Both of them are multiple-time world champions. Jordan Burroughs, I'm sure, is a name that most have heard of. Kyle Dake is a name most should have heard of. Uh, so I'll just talk about that interview and if there's anything that the wrestling community can learn from it. And then the last thing to talk about is going to be PFL. Uh, they had made a decision a little while back that they were going to cancel their 2020 season. Uh, then they said that they were going to offer some stipends. So I'll talk about the specifics of the stipends and how else they'll be handling that. Uh, but starting off with the first topic, and it, it's really good news. The UFC has finally d- decided that they are coming back. They have a date for when it's going to be. And it looks like, at least in this case, they don't have to be secretive about the location. They're going to be fine doing it. The, go- the government in-, in place is fine with it. And so what we have is an event on May 9th in Jacksonville. It's going to be UFC 249. And one of the first things I said after 249 was canceled is that if there's any good news about it, it's that the main event between Ferguson and Gaethje is canceled, and the reason why I was happy about that is because I really want the Ferguson versus Khabib fight. I also mentioned that podcast, look, if Gaethje gets the win and we get Gaethje versus Khabib, I'm very happy with that fight as well. Um, but Ferguson versus Khabib is, is a fight I don't want to ever lose, and I feel like Gaethje is a pretty difficult matchup for Ferguson. Um, but Ferguson versus Gaethje is a fight that, though it was canceled for April 18th, it is now going to happen on May 9th. Khabib is now in the midst of Ramadan, so he wouldn't be able to fight. And even if he was able to fight, uh, it sounds as though his dad is having some health troubles right now with pneumonia. So it probably is better that he isn't going to be on this May 9th card. So not to rehash too much of what I brought up in a previous podcast, but uh, effectively what I was saying as to why I think Gaethje is going to be a difficult matchup for Ferguson. That's not to say I'm picking Gaethje to win, but why I think it's going to be a very tough fight is that Ferguson's biggest issue with his game is that he keeps his hands down at most times he takes a lot of shots he's been hurt in a lot of fights Lando Venata almost had him out of there uh, Anthony Pettis had him in a lot of big trouble and Gaethje at least recently what his specialty has been is that he's been very good about picking his spots and finishing guys with either one or two shots so if you're a guy like Gaethje and you look for one or two shots and you're going up against a guy who keeps his hands down at all times and who keeps moving forward with his hands down it seems pretty likely that he's going to be able to find some pretty big shots in there. The question is going to be, if he does land his shots on Ferguson, is he going to be able to drop Tony? And if he does drop him, uh, will he be able to follow up and finish? Uh, the follow up and finish part has been fairly difficult for some previous fighters. Now, granted, in those fights with Pettis and in the fight with um, Lando Venata, you, you never know with some refs. Some refs are pretty quick to, to stop a fight. I don't think in a title fight like this it's going to be the case, but there's always that worry that if you get rocked and you start facing the wrong way and stumbling over yourself that a ref might jump in and people might not be too upset. So for Ferguson, you, you don't want to be in that position in the first place because even if you are able to recover like physically, if the ref doesn't think so, then you're not going to get the chance and no one's really going to feel too sorry for you. So in the event that Tony Ferguson does get rocked, is he going to be able to recover? Uh, he's probably not going to be able to take Gaethje down while he's rocked, um, but if he goes to his guard, Gaethje, we really haven't seen a whole lot of his grappling in, in MMA. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what his guard passing would look like, how how successful he would be in terms of breaking grips and setting up strikes from the top. Um, so that would be interesting as well, but it seems fairly likely to me that Gaethje's going to land a big shot at some point in this fight. The question is going to be, is he going to be able to finish Tony Ferguson? If he doesn't, is Ferguson going to be able to do enough damage and stay on him for long enough where he's able to take over late in the fight and 
assuming that he loses an early round, is he going to lose the first three rounds, in which case he has to get a finish? Uh, like, what exactly are we going to be dealing with? And ultimately, I think the odds where they're at right now where they're fairly close to even with Ferguson being a slight favorite. I I could see it going the other way where maybe Gaethje's a slight favorite, but I think fairly close to even odds are about right. But this is a very dangerous fight for Tony Ferguson. If he wins, great. We get the Ferguson versus Khabib fight. If he loses, uh, the downside is we lose Ferguson versus Khabib in the meantime and possibly even beyond that. But the upside would be that we get the Gaethje versus Khabib fight. And a fight that a lot of people have wanted to see for a long time is could be versus a D1 All-American level wrestler who's a better striker than him. Um, Justin Gaethje fits that bill, so it'd be interesting to see if he does get the matchup, how he's able to handle uh, handle Khabib, if he's able to keep Khabib off of him, if he does get taken down, how successful he'll be at getting back up. So, either way, we're going to be in good shape in terms of who gets the next fight. Dana's saying that the winner of this fight is going to get the next shot at Khabib. Uh, originally, the timeline was going to be that Khabib's fight in September would be against Connor. At this point, does the UFC say in the meantime, okay, we're going to give it to the interim champion, but then try to finagle a way to get the Connor fight in? Maybe whoever wins this fight, they try to figure out when they're injured and then try to schedule it during that time. Be like, oh, well, we would have given it to him, but they're injured. Or are they actually going to honor it? And then is Connor going to have to look elsewhere? And elsewhere for Connor was supposed to be Justin Gaethje. Um, does Connor fight the loser of this fight? Uh, does he fight Nate Diaz? I think there's a lot to be figured out there, but either way, we're going to be getting a great main event here and, Whoever wins is going to be a really difficult opponent for Khabib Nurmagomedov, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, next fight on the card is going to be a Bantamweight title fight between Dominic Cruz and Henry Cejudo. This is another fight that I've talked about before, uh, so again, I don't want to rehash too much of it, but my big take with it is that does Dominic Cruz deserve this fight? No. Am I that upset about it? No. For one, I think it's an interesting fight just from a stylistic standpoint, but also we were already preparing for this fight for Henry Cejudo to be against a guy who didn't quite deserve a title shot in Jose Aldo. So the fact that it's being shifted from Aldo to Cruz makes it a little less upsetting than had this been a fight where we were expecting to see him fight a top contender and then have a guy who was a former champ but hasn't been all that successful recently. So I'm not too upset that Cruz has taken the fight. I'm definitely interested in how the fight's going to play out, especially how it plays out on the feet. Uh, if it does go to the ground, how successful is Cejudo going to be in keeping Cruz down? Um, this cruise threat takes Cejudo down. Um, I know a lot of people like to think of it from a wrestling standpoint, where if there's a wrestling match, there's no way that Dominic Cruz is taking Henry Cejudo down, but a lot of Dominic Cruz's takedown uh, setups are based off of his striking, so if you're able to get a big edge on someone in striking and you're able to mask a takedown attempt really well, if it's if the technique's good, you're, you're going to be able to land it and you're going to be able to finish it. So it'll be interesting to see if Cruz is able to take Cejudo down with a well-timed knee pick um, or a knee tap, I think, is the one that he likes a little bit more. Um, and... Beyond that, just the difference in their striking styles is going to be really interesting to see as well. So hopefully Dominic Cruz is healthy. Hopefully we get a good five rounds out of him, assuming there's no finish. And that's definitely a fight I'm looking forward to seeing. Next fight on the card was supposed to be Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer. Uh, Nunes has had, had been having trouble getting some training in. Uh, her girlfriend, Nina Ansarov, who in theory would be a great training partner in a time like this, is pregnant, so not exactly the best training partner in that case. And... Um, it sounds as though there have been some police who have been monitoring ATT, making sure they're not training there. So training hasn't really been all that easy for her, and she said that she has a nagging injury and is looking to take this fight a little bit later on. So I'm not too upset with the man who is not taking the fight here. I don't know that that fight really added a whole lot to the card. Yes, it makes it a three-title fight card, but no one really thinks that Spencer's going to win that fight. Um, could Spencer be dangerous on the ground, I guess, but I don't see her getting the fight there. Uh, so if Nunes wants to take a month and take this fight later on, that's fine with me. I'm not really too concerned about it. 
Next fight on the card is Francis Ngannou versus Jairzinho Rosenstrike. This was supposed to be a main event on March 28th, uh, but we'll be getting it on this card here. We have a heavyweight fight between Jorgen DeCastro and Greg Hardy. This is going to be on the main card. There's been a lot of complaints about this. I don't have any issue with it at all. People sort of... I, I guess if you played like the EEA Sports UFC video game, and you like think about it, where you go from like being on like some smaller promotion, and then you get onto the prelims, and then you go onto like main event the prelims, and then you go up to the main card, and you think of like card placement as like this thing that is just completely a matter of something that you've earned in the cage. Then I guess you'd be like, well, why did why did Greg Hardy earn this over like Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis? The reality of it though is that the way that they're placing these fights is largely based on how they think they're going to be able to sell the best um, and what they think is going to generate the best ratings on free TV. So they have the deal with ESPN. Obviously, you're going to want the prelim main event to be a pretty big fight because you want people to be tuning into the prelims. And with that being said, the prelim main event being the main event on the ESPN version of the card should be better than at least one, if not two, if not three of the main card fights. Uh, so I have no problem with them selecting Pettis versus Cerrone for that. And then for Greg Hardy, do you want Greg Hardy to be a guy where you think that people are going to want to pay to to watch him, or do you think he's a guy where you can just throw him in on ESPN and that'd be fine too? And I guess they feel like he fits more into the pay-to-watch category. So again, I'm not too upset that he's on the on the main card. I, I don't take main card bookings as something that you just earn based on how well you do in the octagon. Yes, that that definitely matters, but if you're going to be having the big ESPN, the main ESPN channel to be covering your prelims. You're going to want to put some really good prelims in there. Uh, fights that otherwise might be on main cards had you been running the prelims on like ESPN News or something like that. So I'm not too upset with the way that that was booked, although I know some people were. Um, there's also I mean, Calvin Qatar versus Jeremy Stevens. Uh, we have Alexi Olenek versus Fabrizio Verdum. Carlos Barza versus Michelle Waterson. Jack Ray Souza versus Uriah Hall. Vincente Luque versus Nico Price. Uh, Ryan Spann versus Sam Alvey, and Charles Rosa versus Bryce Mitchell. So, really strong card top to bottom. They also announced that they are going to be doing two other cards within like an eight-day span of that. So this card that I'm talking about right now is on the 9th. They're also going to be having a card on the 13th that will also be in Jacksonville, another card on the 16th that will also be in Jacksonville. I believe Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira are going to be headlining one of them, and I'm not sure who is headlining the other, but they're also going to be filling out the rest of those cards pretty soon as well. There's also confirmation that Fight Island is still happening. It's probably going to be happening in June. Although, what I find interesting is that it sounds as though Fight Island is going to be a 2020 thing, and they're probably not going to keep it around for a whole lot longer, which seems kind of odd. If they're going to go through all the time and effort to build the infrastructure down there, you figure they might do some more events there. But I guess you, you're, if you're on like a weird secluded island, it's going to be tough to sell a lot of tickets there. Uh, so for them, the use of a Fight Island... I mean, I guess if you're going to do like the Ultimate Fighter where you're kind of trying to keep these guys away from civilization, maybe Fight Island's going to be great for future Ultimate Fighters, but it sort of makes sense that they wouldn't want to do other major cards there if they're allowed to have fans in other, in other uh, locations. Next topic to talk about is from wrestling. So Flow Wrestling, obviously with the NCAA wrestling season over and with there being no Olympics to talk about because the Olympics were pushed back a year, They've been sort of short on topics, and what they decided to do was do like a best of the decade type of thing, where they were talking about each and every weight class. And Jordan Burroughs, um, his first couple of years in college, he wasn't an NCAA champion, but in his last couple of years, he was. Uh, and then went straight off of that and was just absolutely dominant on the international scene and still dominant to this day. Uh, even though he wasn't a champion last year, he was still a medalist at the World Championships and was incredibly close in an incredibly close match with a guy who won gold 
Uh, so he's still world class, but they had an argument over whether or not he was the best guy in college his senior year versus Kyle Dake his senior year. And they came to an agreement that Kyle Dake was more dominant in college than Jordan Burroughs was, and Burroughs took exception to it because I guess there's nothing else for him to pay attention to because obviously he doesn't have a big event to be ready, be getting ready for. Uh, so he phoned in, uh, and then Ben Askren brought on Kyle Dake to sort of argue on the other end of it, and the two of them went from arguing about who had the better college career, who was the better uh, wrestler during a specific year in college, to then just arguing in general about how they're preparing for freestyle wrestling, how they're going to wrestle each other moving forward. And it really just resembled one of the great back-and-forth interviews that occasionally you get in MMA, like sort of like your Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor, where they're drawing back and forth. Uh, Daniel Cormier and John Jones, where they're drawing back and forth. It wasn't quite as vicious as those two were, um, but it was still really, really cool to see them just going back and forth over and over, talking about a, a future match that they're going to be having, which will most likely be um, the World Team Trials Finals in, um, or at least the Olympic, tri- Olympic, team tri- Olympic Team Trial Finals in 2021 it seemed as though they were having that matchup and there's mixed reaction from wrestling there are a lot of people in wrestling circles who absolutely hate the idea of trash talk and they felt like this was way over the line they didn't like it at all they felt like it was disrespectful uh there are others who were like look professional sports or at least sports at the professional level is an entertainment business if you're going to be selling or you're going to be making money in professional sports it's because you're selling tickets because you're getting people to tune in and if a lot of people are tuning in obviously the the broadcast rights are worth more, and the more that you're able to make on the broadcast rights, the more money that's going to be around to pay the athletes. So there was that end of it, too, where it's like, well, this is nice to see wrestling. Uh, take a tip from MMA. Have these guys talking trash, making an interesting storyline, making for a lot more interest in their next match, and that could possibly help in the future in terms of bringing in more viewers, whether it's more people paying money to, to go to the event, um, whether more people are tuning in, and then therefore jacking up the, the value of the broadcast rights. So as far as where I'm on it, I, obviously, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I think you know where I where I stand. But I'm I'm a big believer in doing what you can to bring value in the sporting world. That if you are a professional athlete, it's not like what you do on the field is just enough, or what you do on the mats is just enough. You will, you are an entertainer. You're not just an athlete. Your job is that of an entertainer, uh, and, and your value is based off of how much money you can bring in. So f- to me, seeing athletes, especially since it felt like what they were doing was sincere, I felt like everything they were saying was just they said what they meant and they meant what they said. It's not as though they were like trying to put on an act. It's not like they read somewhere, oh, if you talk shit, then that makes you more valuable. Therefore, I'm going to try to talk shit even though this isn't natural for me. What was coming out of their mouth felt natural, so I like that as well. So to me, I think the more they can get of that in wrestling, the better. Um, but that also applies to jiu-jitsu. Uh, it applies in MMA, obviously. I think a lot of athletes are well aware of that in MMA, uh, it, more so than in wrestling or more so than in jiu-jitsu. But it doesn't bother me that much when I see it, especially when it feels like it's coming naturally and it's not something that's being forced. And I felt like that interview was not forced at all. So I was pretty, pretty happy with it. Uh, last thing to talk about is the PFL. So they decided they were going to cut their 2012 se- or 2020 season. Uh, they then announced that they were going to be paying a stipend to their fighters throughout the year, uh, which was a good headline for them PR wise. Uh, later came out that the stipend is a thousand bucks a month. So if they're starting in April, then well, I guess if we pay, including April, that's going to be $9,000 a year for each of them, which isn't exactly going to pay all the bills, but, again, it's better than nothing. It's also worth noting that they cut about a third of their roster, so it's not as though the full roster is going to end up getting the stipend. Those who were not cut are, are the ones who are getting the stipend. So did the PFL have to pay them? No. Is it nice that they did? Yes. Um, but it's kind of interesting how they went from having great PR a while back where it's like, oh, well, they're paying their fighters not to fight. Isn't this great? 
Uh, but then when you get the actual number, it's like, oh, well, that that's helpful money for them, but it's not going to pay all the bills. But to be fair, if they're not, if these fighters aren't fighting, they shouldn't feel comfortable just sitting around doing nothing and expecting to have all their bills taken care of. So like most people, and there are a lot of people right now who are in a tough spot, they're going to have to figure it out, whether it's going to be through unemployment in the meantime until everything gets back to normal, uh, picking up some other jobs. Um, they'll have to find ways to, to keep those bills paid. But I'm assuming if everything gets back to normal and the PFL is actually able to promote fights, even though they're not having their full season, I'd be surprised if they can't at least put some fight cards together and have those guys who are getting those stipends right now go out and actually fight and earn some money the way that they're used to earning money. Uh, but that's something that we're going to have to see over time and see how states react to it. It's nice that we're getting back to a point now where there are some states, um, it seems mostly red states, that are getting to a point now where they're at least willing to have sporting events, even if there's no one there. Uh, but the question is going to be when their sporting events going to come back to the point where they actually have full crowds. And once they have full crowds, obviously, it's going to make a lot more sense for these event organizers to put them on because there's a lot of money that can be made from, from selling tickets. So that's going to be something to watch moving forward. As far as what I think in terms of what that timeline is going to be, I feel like I've kind of gotten to a point now where I just can't even... It, it's not even worth my time like trying to figure out when things are coming back because I, I was at a point where I was constantly monitoring the data and trying to figure out, okay, well, if the numbers get down pretty low, then we're probably going to be good and they're going to get things going back. And you sort of like get an idea in your head of if the numbers look like this, then the government should respond like this. But it's gotten to a point where government responses just have not been in line with the stats and so if the numbers don't really give you a hint on what they're going to do it's sort of tough to to judge and predict what they're going to do uh you, you sort of try to figure out well if, if the numbers aren't giving if the numbers aren't the main reason behind the decisions they're making then what is uh you, you can definitely put some bad bad intentions behind them if you want but it, it's tough but to me the canceling of ufc 248 was a really bad one and that you had the governor of California who felt the need to call the head of Disney to get an event canceled in a place that had eight de- or eight cases and zero deaths in the entire county at that point. California really hasn't gotten much, much worse since then. There's actually a recent study in California where they found that a lot more people have had the coronavirus than what they had figured based off of some random sample immunity tests, which also would mean that the death rate of the coronavirus is significantly lower than what a lot of people think. Um, but it seems as though even as this information comes out, people really aren't like, oh, crap, we didn't realize that this isn't nearly as deadly as we thought. Maybe it's time to get back to normal. Uh, so it, it's hard to say. I think at this point people are just willing to take small wins. Um, in states, some small wins can include, oh, well, they're opening up hair salons, but getting back to a point where they're letting back events where you just pack a bunch of people into an arena, it feels like at this time that's not something that's coming anytime soon, and that's unfortunate because I, I feel like there is definitely an overreaction taking place to the way the coronavirus has been. Um, the stats themselves, if you compare them to other causes of death, it's not as scary as you would as you would imagine, but that's also when you're just taking the stats as what they are. There have also been some serious issues with the stats not being reliable, especially with COVID deaths. Uh, Pennsylvania just today had announced that over 200 deaths that were qualified as COVID deaths had to be pulled back because uh, they were being a little bit too liberal in terms of how they were diagnosing COVID deaths. Uh, pretty much just saying if you had COVID or if we thought you had COVID, uh, we'd count it. There is a story from New York a couple weeks back where there were people who didn't even test positive for COVID that died. Um, but they're like, yeah, these guys kind of had some symptoms, though, so we're going to count them, which is just an absurd way to go about it. Because the thing with testing is that testing has been fairly limited, so most of the people who get testing are people who are showing symptoms in the first place. With that being said, about 18% of people tested test positive. So you have 
a group of people, most of which are showing symptoms, and only 18% of them are testing positive. So if that's the rate that you're getting on testing and you're just going to go ahead and assume, well, this person was coughing a lot before they died, I'm going to count them as a COVID death. That's just an absurd way to go about it. Uh, we also had a, a press conference in Illinois where one of the people who was involved in counting deaths was saying, hey, look, even if we have someone in hospice, in hospice for another cause, if we find out that they also had COVID at the time, and even, even if we knew that they were dying of cancer, knew they were dying of something else, we would count that as a COVID death. So even with the COVID death number being overinflated, if you compare it to like flu or pneumonia or some other causes, it's not way out of line with some of them in terms of annual deaths, uh, especially when you consider the fact that we're on the downside of, or on the downside of COVID cases and on the downside of that slope. So at this point, I'd love to see MMA events get back to normal. I definitely want to see gyms open back up and see them training the way that they should be. Um, definitely something getting to a point right now where the state I'm in in Illinois, they're probably not going to be open anytime soon. Uh, definitely not before June, but I would be surprised if they open up early June as well. Uh, but I'm looking at surrounding states and seeing if they open up beforehand and maybe it might be worth um, taking some road trips to, to get some training in elsewhere. But beyond that, I can make my guesses. Um, people in the news can make their guesses, but it, it just kind of seems like something that's going like week by week, day by day. Um, but at some point, hopefully within this calendar year, you can have crowds at sporting events again. And hopefully, if that's what the PFL is waiting to get back, hopefully they're able to then do some events and get their fighters paid. Um, hopefully this encourages some of the other events that aren't making most of their money off of TV rights. Hopefully it encourages them to, to run events as well, especially a lot of the smaller events. Uh, hopefully we see more jiu-jitsu tournaments popping up. Hopefully we see more amateur MMA shows popping up, or at least returning. I know I was looking forward to taking an amateur fight in August before all this happened. Um, if they can't sell tickets right now, I don't see why they would even have, an, have the event that was in May that was rescheduled to June. I don't know why they would have that event, let alone another one in the summer. Um, so, I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm still 28. Like, I'll have, I'll have time to take a fight. It's not like this is taking something away from me. I'll never get back. But for me, obviously, it'll be nice when when everything gets back to normal, once these events are able to go on and once they're able to have crowds, uh, it'll be good for the fighters because it'll give them more opportunities um, at, at the smaller levels. Uh, and those opportunities can lead to them uh, having some great performances that earn spots in the UFC. The UFC is in a good spot right now where they're making a lot of money, at least on the broadcast rights. Obviously, they're also making a lot of money at the gate that they're not going to be making. But the UFC will be fine, uh, though not doing as well as they otherwise could be if they're doing events on TV right now where some other events don't really have that option. So I, I think that pretty much covers it for this week. Um, as far as next week, I, I guess we'll be a week closer to the May 9th event. I, would, I hope that there's some new stuff to talk about. Uh, maybe uh, I might want to do just some breakdowns for the title fights that are going to be going on then. Uh, I'll have to see whether or not that's something I want to do as just a YouTube exclusive so I can actually like show images or whether that's something that I just want to verbalize and do through a podcast or maybe have like an audio-only audio version um, and try to do it in such a way where you can still kind of follow along with what I'm saying, even though it's more helpful to have the pictures. I'll have to see if that's something I want to do. But with that being said, there's probably also going to be a lot of fights that are announced, especially with the May 13th and the May uh, 16th card. So I'd imagine there's going to be something to talk about and there won't be a need to, to kick the can down the road again like I had last week. So I intend to have another podcast next week. That would be podcast episode 55. Um, thank you for joining me this week. I uh, apologize for not having one last week, but again, there wasn't really a whole lot to talk about. So sort of put me in a weird spot.